0: Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading Short and Deep, An Adventure Underground by W.D. Harrington. This was first, and probably only, published in a magazine called The Dollar Monthly, July 1865, sometimes known as Baloo's the dollar monthly after the editor um we've done i think at least one item out of here this magazine before um i've run across a few uh issues of it and i found it really dynamic <laughs> uh sort of scrappy and uh fun and um i read several stories in here and uh one of them was this one and I submitted to you and then I think you were not super enthusiastic about it and I can understand why but um, there's something about really old stories that are forgotten to me that it's like uh, filling in little bits of history and there's other stuff going on in it too and I think that that other stuff or at least possibly other stuff going on um, subsequent to it that made you interested in doing it even though it wasn't your favorite story I ever read <laughs> so right
1: there, there's a you know, there's a lot of interesting things around it um, mm-hmm. for instance it's an 1865 story an adventure underground in 1865 there was another book published called Alice's Adventures in Wonderland which was first known as Alice's Adventures Underground
0: mm-hmm.
1: um Nothing like this at all, <laughs> but it makes you wonder what underground may signify yeah. as a cultural uh,
0: trope. Uh, underground railroads ro- and uh, all sorts of yeah. different things. Um, I right. I want to uh, mention. I believe it was in the same issue. Um, uh, was an, a new? It was a magazine, and it had uh, fiction and poetry and that sort of thing as well as, uh, regular news items, and one of them was a, an account of the trial of Jefferson Davis, which gives you a kind of, uh, sense of what's going on at <laughs> the period. So, uh, for people who are not super deep into it, um, July 1865 is just a couple months after the end of the United States Civil War, and so, uh, the trial of Jefferson Davis would be in the news. Um, this story, I don't think, has anything to do with that particularly, but it, it's not stated in the story, but it seems to be set in North Carolina uh, for the Blue Ridge Mountains uh, run through there. But more importantly, one particular mountain is mentioned in the first uh, paragraph, um, and it's called mm-hmm. The Pilot. Um, I've gone online and looked at the, the pictures of it, and it is a uh, lone promontory um, far away from the other mountains and it's quite distinctive so uh, mm-hmm. if you're from that area I think you would probably recognize it and um, there are stories in fact about uh, things underground in the area but they don't line up with what's going on in this story so maybe uh, you could give us a uh, description of what happens
1: I will I will uh, but I do want to point out that Baloo's Dollar Monthly is a rather expensive magazine. Maybe mm-hmm. this is for an elite readership, <laughs> um, because a dollar in 1865 is worth, according to the inflation calculator that I consulted, almost seventeen dollars now.
0: Yeah, that's that's a lot for a periodical. I have a feeling that it wasn't actually costing you a dollar. I think it was giving you a dollar worth of value for you know a nickel or something like that.
1: Or you think so i think so yeah be better than i yeah in that case it's cheap let's yes. see if this is a cheap knockoff so an adventure underground by wd harrington do you i could find out nothing about nothing it, this fellow do
0: don't know anything? don't know if it's william davis don't know if it's uh willie willie Dougal. we don't know anything about uh or, or w. W. Harrington. Wilma dorothy couldn't it could could be there's no way to know. Um, we don't know if it's a pseudonym, because there's not... A, this period is much underexplored. Um, the, w- one of the other stories we did out of here was uh, an anonymous uh, article, uh, uh, anonymous uh, fairy tale that w- we were told was from the East. Um, I tracked it down to, uh, to a Charles Dickens magazine, and it was just reprinted. As if it was a, a traditional fairy tale, but it it came and it went, right? So you know we know a lot about uh, Hawthorne and Poe, but the period after them gets a little bit, you know, underreported until uh, the early twentieth century, late nineteenth century. There's sort of like a little gap, I think, in in the memory. Of uh, of people, we we know about the penny dreadfuls, but this isn't that. It's something else. It's um, a, a space in between.
1: Well, we can. Uh, there there are some notable places in that space. Mm-hmm. Mark Twain, for example. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh, looking backward in the eighteen eighties, but but I, I gather your point. Um, so here we have this. This opening, an adventure underground, it begins thus a student fresh from the monotonous college course. I stood one low, lovely evening in autumn on a lofty peak of the Blue Ridge, the pilot listening with breathless attention to the story of an old man whose sparse locks were blooming for the grave. How alike were my own feelings and the eminence upon which I stood. My youthful bosom was teeming with the brightest and most deceptive aspirations and hopes for honor. In the future, I saw the laurel weaving itself into unfading wreaths to crown my brow while my friends fluttered and fostered the most presumptuous plans that my deluded brain had concocted for an easy and uninterrupted flight up the ladder of fame. Beyond this, however, I aspired to fortune to great riches. And then it goes on. Mm-hmm. So at this point, we have a narrator who is looking back at himself and is indicating the narrowness of his view. Uh, the writer does a few interesting things here. The, uh, the old man, whoever he may be, and we never do find out their relationship, has uh, sparse hair. And I think tell you i think of that as uh, looking like a wreath around a Mm -hmm. mostly bald head Mm -hmm. so there's a parallelism going on here we never do find out why the student is telling us the story or where the 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 man he is now telling us the story of what he was then the story that he recounts begins with the old man as they are standing on the pilot a, a an isolated promontory in the blue ridge mountains of a story that in a cave down below there is buried gold that robbers years ago, a century ago, had been chased in there and they went to hide their, their gold in order to guard it they slit the throat of one of their number and the murdered pirate is a ghost who will keep others from getting the gold No one has been able to actually check this out, according to the old man, because no one has had the nerve to actually go in. When you approach the cave, you hear it making moaning sounds. Our fellow says that he will do it. He will do it for himself. And the one thing he says that's a little selfless, he will do it because he wants to be able to to have Jenny, the woman he has loved his whole life the girl he has loved his whole life so he goes he enters the cave or he gets to the mouth of the cave and as he starts to walk in he discovers two things first the sound it really is moaning and horrible and off-putting just as the old man had said and the entrance is as paved and flat and comfortable as if it were the result of the stonemason's chisel mm-hmm. he goes down The light behind him gets smaller and smaller. He finds a door to the right. He makes the right turn. He goes and he finds two things. One, he finds a a little rivulet down there, a stream. And uh, when he sticks his hand in it, it gives him a chemical burn. The the hand is uh, is desiccated somewhat and turns white. He also finds a body which has been turned into veritable stone so we think, if we're thinking chemi- chemically here that the, the rivulet is calcified, that there's a high calcium content and there's some kind of um, deposition of calcium on his hand and it's what turned the, uh, the corpse into stone uh, he goes and thinks ah, this guy was after the, the gold that I want, the treasure I want and he goes further and further. He crosses a partition. I don't know what this is supposed to represent. Uh, maybe the Rubicon. Mm-hmm. Uh, crosses a partition. And in his explorations, discovers he can't go back. We get an awful lot of description of his feeling of loneliness, that he, like that fellow, was going to die. The fellow had written an inscription on the wall that he had died here 1810. And he's going to go... and sees himself doing the same thing but rather than giving up he tries to recount uh, his steps he goes and discovers that in fact it's a circular chamber he keeps going over the rivulet no by the partition the circular chamber brings to my mind um the descent uh, the uh, pit and the pendulum mm-hmm. where the fellow finds out that where he's going is nowhere at all um but then he gets the idea Of going over the partition he goes and he finds he can climb upward and then he sees now that his own um, his own miner's lamp is dead he sees a tiny light above him and realizes that there is a way up and he he follows up that way up the water having come down uh, and he manages to climb his way out and finds himself on the top of the pilot he goes down to the old man's house, and he discovers that he has in fact been gone for two full days. Whether this is a matter of him having slept, or it's a fairy tale passage of time, we're not told exactly. Just as we're not told that it's the the water that's rushing through the cave that makes it sound so ominous in spring and fall, obviously the rainy seasons. Um, a lot is left to us, and maybe that's good writing, mm. or maybe a lot is left to us because. The W. D. Harrington didn't think it through too much, but one way or the other, our fellow uh, gives up the idea of going for the gold, and the story ends thus. By almost superhuman efforts, I at last reached the aperture and with an extraordinary bound, sprang out joyfully into the open air. Once more, I found myself upon the topmost summit of the lofty pilot, while the star-spangled concave of heaven shone brightly over my head. Once more I looked down in the dim starlit horizon upon the abode of man and heartily thanked a kind providence for my deliverance from a death too horrible to be contemplated. I descended the mountainside and repaired to the cottage of my old friend. I can't tell whether that means it's a friend who is old or someone who's been his friend for a long time. Mm hmm who informed me that I had been gone two days and nearly two nights with as little delay as possible. I tipped my hat to the giant beak with its gloomy cavern and chest of uh, hidden gold and returned to my humble home where, with the object of my early love, that is Jenny, I have found the hidden treasure of more value than great riches in learning the lesson that contentment with our lot in all the vicissitudes of life, is the only road to happiness. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yep. is this an Aesop's a simplistic Aesop's fable? Is it a premonition of the end of the Wizard of Oz? Is it a writer who just <laughs> ran out of things to say, or is it really a moral lesson we should take <laughs> to heart? What do you think, Jesse?
0: Yeah. So, um, one of one of the things that I thought was interesting about it is it has this this element of it it's a it 's a ghost story right um they we are told killed uh, i 'll just read that section many years ago said uh said he a band of desperate highwaymen lived in these mountains as a place of sa- as a place of safety they hid somewhere in that cave a chest of gold which is guarded by the spirit of one of their band whom they murdered on the spot for that purpose. So the the highwaymen murdered one of their own, not because he was going to share in the loot, but rather to protect their gold. Oh, I, I didn't know you could do that. You just say, hey, I, I need to murder you so your ghost will haunt this area and protect our gold for us? Thanks. <laughs> like, apparently that was a thing. So the story's a bit dubious to start with. Um but one of the things that happens also is that when he first goes uh to this place and we we hear about the old man telling the story of this place um the old man says I was not able to summon up the courage to go in there myself and our narrator when he goes there he doesn't go in right away in in fact he turns around and goes back to the house and says I'll start in the morning now it does make sense considering he didn't have a lantern But in the morning, he takes a breakfast and he summons up his courage and takes a lantern and fills it, goes in, even though it's really hard for him because it's so scary. And yet when he gets inside, it seems that the sound is natural. But then he gets lost and he sees somebody lying on the ground. As you say, it's he seems to have been covered in some sort of limestone (laughs) drippings that have or splashings that have preserved his corpse perfectly so that you can see his face. And you can actually see his, his uh, death note <laughs> carved into a book or something. Uh, and he, he can read it and he considers at one point uh, changing the date on it from 1810 to something else. So this is somebody like him who's gone in after, after this treasure. And then he finds his way out and we find out that there was no ghost. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's kind of a transition from the ghost stories of earlier days, perhaps, to, uh, you know, geological explanations for why the, those ghostly noises are coming out and geological explanations for why this horrible corpse that's perfectly preserved, oh, it's, it's geologically preserved rather than a... Uh, so it's, it's a lot of preposterous stuff, but all of it is in service to a kind of an adventure underground. Um, Yeah, I I, I think the moral at the ending's kind of cute, I guess. Um, But it's also true, (laughs) you know. um, Getting all that gold isn't going to make his life all the better when he already has Jenny. He wants to lay that gold at her feet. And he has all these aspirations of climbing the ladder of success, Right. Um, the latter fame but uh the old man who he respects and is has hair on his head blooming for the grave right um i i think of the narrator as being sort of a he thinks of himself as, uh, as a up and comer on the rise because he's just so skilled all his friends tell him so i don't know who a- a- wd harrington is maybe he had such a successful career maybe he and the main character are the same, I don't know but I thought that all that was interesting um, but that's not why I was so interested in this story because it is it's, it's basically just how we described it I think, right? It's, it's simple it's a, a sustaining of a mood um, and that was something that uh, made me think, oh I know somebody who may have read this and then there was a couple of incidents that happened in it that I'm like, this is very familiar. So I, I'm talking about H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, who we know um, got almost all of his education, virtually none of it, and he didn't go to university. Um, and he couldn't finish high school. Um, he got almost all of his education from his grandfather's library. His grandfather, a... Uh, Uh, wealthy investor type um, lived in Providence and had a substantial library and uh, for most of his youth um, he was raised by his grandfather who invited him to read his books and perhaps his magazines and one of the things that H.P. Lovecraft writes about in uh, a long essay of his called Supernatural Horror in Literature is that the sustaining of a mood is the highest form of what a, of a story can do. The sustaining of a particular mood, and he didn't write a lot of novels, but he thinks it's much harder to do so in a novel form. And I think that that's what's going on here. But one, I also wanted to point out that one of uh, Lovecraft's earliest stories, one written in his youth, um, is called "The Beast in the Cave." And it's about a young man who goes into a cave, uh, uh, a real cave. Um, This one is perhaps fictional Um, and gets lost, separated from the group he's with. Um, His lantern goes out, just as happens in this, and he comes across a thing, a beast. And it turns out not to be a, a dead corpse that's been covered with a layer of calcium carbonate or anything (laughs) but rather uh, of a a person like him who once went into this cave and got lost and has never found his way out and and in living there when the light finally does reveal the creature's face he has reverted to sort of a primitive beast and is something of a horror to the narrator that and one of his best stories I think is, is called The Outsider in which a, uh, n- the narrator um, we don't know the gender of we don't know the name of finds himself having lived his whole life underground um, not having a deep connection with anyone else considering he's completely alone but having raised himself on, on books he thinks based himself question mark he looks around his world and compares it his underground world to that in the books that he reads um and eventually he determines to escape the world that he's in and find the world that's in the books and he makes an ascent just as our hero here does um to a very difficult uh cylindrical uh Climb and escapes into the real world and goes to the home where he was really born. Um, it's sort of, we're sort of left to conclude that he was somehow buried and dead and came alive again. Um, so b- both of those stories, you know, bear a slight resemblance to this, but what's so important to me in this one is that it's all about. That sustaining of the mood of the the scariness in the face of what turn out to be naturalistic explanations for what everyone is assuming is a ghost and everyone is assuming is the uh, the sound of the ghost in the entrance of the of the cave that keeps people out despite the claim that there's gold treasure within there is no gold treasure he never finds it, doesn't come across any of it. But he comes out, and he thinks he's found a true treasure in his sweetie <laughs> right, so that ending so would... doesn't feel like it fits with the rest of the story, but it's certainly uh it's certainly about the mood rather than the uh the ending i think
1: well the the ending is uh breaks the mood, yes, There's no doubt about that I'm not as uh enamored of the mood in this story as uh, as you seem to be and that's my loss it's always nice to enjoy something a lot uh, i do think that there's another uh, literary tradition not just uh, focusing on lovecraft that's worth mentioning here it's the, the, i'm thinking of what's called katabasis mm-hmm. uh, k-a-t-a-b-a-s-i-s a journey underground mm-hmm. in which a hero descends learns something crucial and comes up. Sometimes it's, in fact, a death and rebirth. A a well-known early example of this is uh, Odysseus Mm -hmm. going down to Hades in order to interrogate Tiresias and find out how he should continue best on his journey. I'll remind you that at that point, um, he creates a rivulet of blood, uh, keeps all the other ghosts away, and only allows Tiresias to approach so there's a lot of parallel imagery going on there. Uh, he comes back, Odysseus, and he now knows what he should do. It's a death and rebirth. There's, uh, there's a lot of that when one thinks of womb return imagery, which is all through the particular Harrington story that we've just been discussing, going into the cave, going further, then making an angle, and suddenly the light is less visible. But when you come out, you're on top and, uh, and can see the habitation of, of humanity. Uh In Plato's famous parable of the cave, Mm. people are thought to have been chained, are told they've been chained there and can only see shadows cast by the fire. And when they are unshackled, they go out and someone sees, ah, this is what the world really is. Mm -hmm. Um, But when he comes back and he he tells people, they uh, tell him he's crazy. Um, Now, it's important to notice that the initial situation of the, the individual who gets out into the real world and comes, therefore, with no, more knowledge is having been shackled. That is to say, he began in the real world, then came down and was shackled. And the Lovecraft story you just relate to us is one in which someone, in fact, it turns out he was already uh, an above ground person. Right. But he thought he was he grew up underground, but in fact, he did not. It's like the frog prince. It's not a frog turning into a prince. Mm -hmm. It's a frog being freed of the spell that had turned a prince into a frog. Mm -hmm. Now, what we have here then is another one of these stories, I think, of catabasis, of somebody who goes down, learns how life could be better, and then comes up again. But I think, frankly, and this is one of the reasons that I'm not so keen on the story, um, that simple, great insight that this fellow has not such a good insight it cannot be that the only way to contentment to to a life of happiness is contentment with your lot (laughs) this is an 1865 story the united states has just suffered its most catastrophic war ever families have been sundered thousands and thousands of people have been killed in order to help people Not be slaves. Being content with your lot does not necessarily lead to the best possibilities for happiness. And people would know that. This particular character, this narrator who's telling us a story for reasons I do not really understand, begins by saying a student fresh from the monotonous college Mm -hmm. course. I stood one lovely evening in autumn... On a lofty peak of the Blue Ridge, the pilot, a pilot is someone who leads. This guy is trying to lead us. He's standing on a pilot, but he doesn't understand the pilot. This guy is acknowledging now in his adulthood, domestic life with Jenny, that as a student, he was bored silly. But you know what? As an adult, he still doesn't want to do anything that might rock the boat. He was only moved to do that because he thought that gold would enable him to have palaces and do whatever he wants. And he had friends who flattered him to do that, as you suggested. I can't tell whether Harrington is giving us this story so that we can take it as a critique of a foolish approach to how to gain knowledge of the world. Or if it's just a story that sort of breaks down mostly for mood, but then it you know starts with a little dig at this guy and ends with a specious moral I don't know how to judge this story, and in this particular instance I don't think the problem is mine
0: yeah i, I it's the ending is <laughs> it breaks the mood it's it's the thing that kind of wrecks it my subversive reading of what actually is going on is it goes back to to the there's actually you know a number of people who tried to get this treasure right we're told first we're told it's the old man then we find out about this this um previous adventure who was brave enough to actually go into the cave and then got lost and died there he he wrote we're told an ominous inscription Deluded here by thirst after hidden gold, bewildered, unable to find my way out, I perish alone. Didn't even write his own name, right? When we get to the end of this, he is so grateful to have found his way out, so happy to be alive, that he says, I've learned what real treasure is. And and that, he's not wholly wrong. When you've just had something terrible happen to you, like uh, nearly losing your life, you are grateful for every little second and little petty thing that was bothering you before. You know, oh, my shoes, you're kind of ugly. I should probably get some new shoes, you were thinking. And then suddenly you almost are killed, but are saved at the last second. You suddenly value you know, living and the things that you already have and you don't care about, you know, getting a new pair of shoes because the old ones look a little scuffed. You're all focused on, oh, it's so precious, right? So the fact that he's suddenly, you know, satisfied with his whole life, that doesn't work for us because that feeling can't last very long. It's like when you've gone camping and you haven't had a shower for three days... And you come home, and you have that shower, and you feel clean. Oh, showers are wonderful. But we take it for granted every other day, right? It doesn't sustain. What, what is a problem
1: here has exactly to do with that sustenance, that yes? sustaining, right? If he had come out and said, ah, the only road to happiness is the acceptance of my lot, I would have thought one thing. But we are told that this is years later. Yeah. And at this point that he's narrating it to us, for some reason we do not know, at this point, he says, contentment with our lot is the only road to happiness. This is not simply an observation of the moment. It's a lesson he took away and either believes on reflection or, like that college student who finds the course monotonous, he's just too incurious and, and ignorant and stupid <laughs> to really think about the meaning of what goes on in his life. So I have to ask, why are we listening to this guy? Why does Harrington think that a story like this provides a reason to conclude that there is always more to say.
0: Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash S-F-F-Audio.